Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Spectrum Internet has enough speed to handle all your needs. So you can work, game, and stream with speeds up to a gig. Plus, Spectrum's advanced Wi-Fi provides enhanced security for all your connected devices. Get Spectrum Internet with fast and reliable speeds, starting at just $29.99 a month with a two-year price guarantee. Visit spectrum.com slash internet for you for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Restrictions apply. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod, Pina of the internet, and also GQ, where the coverage has been phenomenal. Michael, we are talking on a Monday morning. I am proud to announce that within a couple hours, the 2020 NBA playoffs are set to tip off. There's going to be four games every day for basically the next week. It's more basketball than any human being could reasonably consume. So uh, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, just realize uh, we're very excited about the Philadelphia 76ers 35-point blowout win over the Boston Celtics, just as excited as you are. It just took place a couple hours after we've taped. Michael, I'm not so worried about that scheduling because a lot of stuff happened over the weekend. There was a a lot of high-profile firings, uh, and as well as the the Western Conference play-in game. You know, they love to fire people, Michael, on Friday afternoon. They try to do that news dump, but you're not slipping past us here at the open floor. We are all over it. We are ready to break down your major personnel moves that you were hoping we would just forget about, guys. We're all over it. Let's start arguably the biggest one, or at least the one that got the most attention, the Chicago Bulls finally fired coach Jim Boylan after two troubled losing seasons near mutinies, uh, you know, punch clocks in the practice facility. There was a lot of twists and turns uh, with his tenure there in Chicago. Michael, I'm curious, was this the first time that one of the non-bubble teams succeeded in kind of penetrating the bubble and overshadowing the bubble there, even if it was only for about six hours. I feel like Boylan got a lot of attention on social media. Yeah, this one, I mean, I don't think it was a surprise to anybody. I think the biggest factor of why it was so notable is just that like, it took so long for it to happen. So maybe people were starting to lean towards the possibility that Boylan would keep his job there in Chicago. But like the writing has felt like it's been on the wall for 
a long, long, long time. <laughs> and uh, my uh, my former editor, Ricky O'Donnell at SB Nation, has a Twitter thread of everything that uh, Jim Boylan did during his tenure that was uh, a borderline or explicit fireable offense that everyone should go check out. I can't even begin to read it. It's very long, very funny. Um, and yeah, it's good they yeah. expanded the character limit on Twitter a couple of years ago because <laughs> otherwise that would have been like a 45 tweet thread, right? Yeah, I think it might have actually crossed that threshold anyway, but uh, Ricky is not a fan of Coach Boylan. But it's going to be really interesting just to see how this new regime in, in Chicago, another like wrinkle here is just what is next and who they're going to hire and how they're going to build. Like, are they going to, you know, slow roll this thing, be organic, do what the Brooklyn Nets did, and then all of a sudden find themselves in a situation where as a big market, they can sign a notable free agent or just like what is going to happen over the next few years in Chicago? Uh, I think it's it's a fascinating place, a fascinating team. And I think that that's why this was such a big news item. Yeah, let's get to the uh, forward-looking stuff in a minute. I do want to kind of dig in on just their process of how they got to firing him, because remember, Arturis uh, got hired his first-time uh, job as a, a GM, uh, gets brought over uh, a few months ago from Denver, and it's time for him to settle into his digs, right? And there's this whole idea of they're trying to, you know, basically change the culture and go a, a sharply different direction after the Paxton and Foreman era, right? And he started off by kind of waiting and waiting multiple months to fire Boylan, and it started to get everybody really freaked out, thinking, like, are they just going to keep him because they don't want to pay him to go away? Like, is this a case of ownership being cheap again? Like, And I think the official story from the new Bulls front office was this idea of, oh, we want to give him, like, a fair evaluation, right? And I think it was a very reasonable feeling from the Bulls fan base to say, what do you mean? <laughs> thorough evaluation like what is there really to evaluate this has not worked no there's no success story among the young players they've all kind of plateaued or just sort of done it themselves um the encore product was not good they did not show any meaningful progress this year and just the rolled eyes the body language the frustration the cultural disconnect between the coach and that team just seems so obvious um it was strange that it took so long I'm just wondering in hindsight, like, Michael, put yourself in Arturis's position. Was the move to just move forward on day one? I feel like he overthought it here a little bit. You know, it's like Can sometimes I, you're, the, you're the new GM. You just come in and say, I want to hire my own coach. Boom, you're gone. Like, it's not that controversial to do that. And, you know, it all gets together in one cycle and it's just over. And now you can kind of move forward with your thought process. I don't understand why they waited until the last day of the regular season to do this, which was sort of their timing on that. It just seems strange. Can I play devil's advocate for two seconds in a pro Jim Boylan stance? Well, is your theory he's going to like put on a wig and become a new coach next year? Like, what are you, what, like, how deep are we trying to evaluate this thing? He kind of no, is who he is, man. Come on. No, 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 no. I know. But uh, like, Okay, so if I was uh, Jim Boylan's agent and I was in a meeting with uh, Chicago's new management, I would point at two things as to why they should keep him on. Number one, like everybody on the team was hurt this year. Like uh, Wendell Carter got hurt, like with long-term injuries. Wendell Carter got hurt. Larry Markkinen got hurt. Chris Dunn got hurt. Chris Dunn, by the way, had a tremendous season under Boylan on the defensive end and really kind of broke out as a legitimate NBA player with an identity. 
Um, uh, Zach Levine was a little banged up for for some time, um, and they and they. Uh, you know, the the second point I'll make is that defensively, they were not atrocious. And they played this really uh, against the grain style that was super aggressive. They forced more turnovers than any other defense. They were above average in that category um, in terms of defensive rating. And there were some things on that side of the ball that, you know, I don't think are sustainable over the course of a full 82-game season or uh, particularly in a playoff series against a good three-point shooting team. But Stop I, right I just... there. These guys are never making the playoffs <laughs> under Jim Boylan. Come on, Michael. Come on. I hear what you're saying. Like, you're doing a nice job of, of acting as his agent, and I appreciate that because he is a very easy punching bag, and he has been for a couple of years. But, mm-hmm. the, I mean, you heard it from Daniel Gafford. This guy's got some things he's got to worry uh, work on. You know, he needs he has some things he needs to improve on. Like, he's kind of taking open shots from his players. Um, you know, clearly the way he was using timeouts late in games was driving guys nuts. They were often just completely out of games, <laughs> long losing streaks. I mean, it just – maybe he's your defensive coordinator, right? Like, maybe in a, in a future scenario you could have him in that kind of a role. They're just – he wasn't the head of the ship. This is not going to work. He can't be captain material here. I don't think it was too complicated. I think you're overthinking, Michael. Yes, I am. I'm 100% overthinking. Uh, I've, like, backed myself into a terrible corner. I, I was laughing out loud uh, over the weekend when <laughs> I saw a tweet that was attributed to Thomas – uh, Sadaransky, uh, the Bulls guard, who was like just straight up, yeah, this is a step in the right direction, and I don't know it took them so long. <laughs> See, I thought it's so funny, man, so funny. That's what I mean, and that's why I really think that, like in hindsight, I think it's a good learning experience for other first-time GMs. I think that you know you want to be respectful, you want to be deliberate, you want to come off as thoughtful, but you know it didn't take three months in a pandemic when you could be on a zoom call all day every day with any of anybody who you want to talk to to reach this conclusion and i think um you know it, it wound up i don't want to say it uh, it marred like the beginning of arturis's uh, tenure i think that would be going too far and i think that he's ultimately going to be judged on which coach he hires that's going to be a much more important thing than how he handled the boylan firing but I just would have done it differently. I would have come in and said, hey, this is my show now. Sorry, buddy, you're out. Um, question for you as Boylan's agent. How are you feeling about his future job prospects? Will he ever get another chance as a head coach? Or is he going to slide back into that sort of longtime, you know, trusted uh, veteran assistant um, role, which I imagine he'll be able to get, uh, you know, a job like that pretty easily? Yeah, I, I don't think that, he'll ever be a head coach again I mean this was kind of like a dumpster fire uh in a lot of ways um whenever your players just threaten full-on mutiny as the Bulls did and then you need like a leadership council and it's just it was it was just like a total mess I mean again go read Ricky O'Donnell's Twitter thread uh it is hilarious and really uh incisive (laughs) in every single detail of why Boylan kind of blew his first and what will be his only opportunity to be a head coach in the NBA. Um, I don't necessarily think that, you know, uh, like he's a lifelong 
coach of basketball. So I'm sure maybe someone will, uh, you know, uh, bring him on board to be uh, maybe a defensive coordinator, as you mentioned, maybe some other some other level of the staff where he doesn't necessarily need to interact with players that much. Um, and can kind of just stay in the film room, or uh, I don't know how it would work or, or what the procedure would be. Well, but So I, my, my thing on that is, like, you can have Boylan's personality 100% and interact with players as an assistant coach, right? Like, because you could just pick and choose. You're not addressing the entire team. You're not trying to inspire the entire team. You're just trying to correct specific mistakes in certain situations, right? And I do think there's something to what you're saying about their defensive standard. Like, that's clearly what he cares about. It's what he's most knowledgeable about. And players are used to getting yelled at for screwing up on defense. Who hasn't screwed up on defense in their life, Michael? All of us can understand how that works. And if Boylan's just saying, hey, man, you need to like rush out to the shooter a little faster, that's one thing. If he's trying to like make you punch in at 7 a.m. for workouts every single day and run wind sprints for a week, it's totally different type of communication. So I expect he's going to get rehired. I don't think any there's a, you know any question about that. I think it's it's just... I think he he found his calling as that that lifer assistant, and and he dipped his toes in a different job, and maybe it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, um, this is a lot. Of, I was not expecting to do so much Jim Boylan talk today, Ben. Well, I gotta be honest. Look, I think he was the he was the man of the hour on Friday. I felt like there was so much celebration <laughs> from Bulls fans and and all that stuff. We've got some other fired guys to get to. Um, Vlade Divac, Kings GM. Uh, actually was not fired technically he resigned or stepped down whatever euphemism we want to use um, I think this was a case where you know passing on Luka Doncic was a fireable offense I believe heading into I can't remember if it was uh, Luka's rookie season or his second season I said that uh, you know passing on Luka would wind up getting multiple GMs fired and so far McDonough's out and now Divac is out um, it took a little bit longer on Vlade than a lot of us expected. He did last five years in Sacramento, did not deliver um, a single winning season or a postseason trip. Um, if you want to give him you know, credit, he, he was able to you know, do decently well and better than I expected at the time in the DeMarcus Cousins trade. He was able to grab De'Aaron Fox um, in, the, uh, in the draft lottery. But it seemed like his fatal flaw, Michael, was he only wanted to draft centers basically no matter what, no matter how many people they had on the roster at that position, and no matter how high he was up on the board. You look at Papa Giannis, you look at Scal, you look at um, Bagley, which was obviously the fatal pick like we mentioned. Um, just a long track record of a center wanting to grab centers. And I think that we have now learned that is a bad strategy, especially in the modern NBA. I think if you are a whoever the next president of basketball ops is uh, in Sacramento, your primary goal should not be to make the playoffs or have a winning season. It should just don't be a complete total laughing stock. That's like the bar right now. And uh, Vladi set the bar there. There are countless examples that we could go through uh of why the bar is so low i mean luca the luca pick is number one but then you pick bagley and i think it was the night of the draft you do a press conference where you basically say that you know bagley can play the three that's what you're envisioning for him and it's just like all right from the jump that's just laughable that's a total joke uh i cannot believe you said that out loud in public um there was the trade that he made 
that we discussed when we were doing the all-time worst transactions of the last, I think, 10 years or something uh, with Sam Hinkie, where he basically flubbed on some, gave some draft picks away to clear cap space to sign like Rondo and George Hill, or I don't even remember who it was, but it was just like a total mistake and no other GM in basketball would have made it. Uh, I mean, the list like goes just on and on. uh, And one of the things that I think we overlook is the coaching change that they made um, from Dave Yeager to Luke Walton, which was and in my opinion is like very suspect uh like Dave Yeager had an identity for that team they were very good last season they were fast uh they almost made the playoffs Buddy Heald broke out De'Aaron Fox broke out it looked like that was like just a, a style of play that fit how they wanted to be and how they wanted to grow made a lot of sense and then they they fire Yeager because of I would assume personal uh issues and some political stuff behind the scenes. And you bring in Luke Walton and he's, you know, slowing things down. And, and I think they were, Sacramento was pretty disappointing this season. And then you get to the bubble and they were one of the worst teams for a variety of reasons. So, uh, you know, Vladi is, by all accounts, a very nice, pleasant individual. I, I think his tenure in Sacramento was super damaging and set them back decades. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, here's the thing. Like, it wasn't even behind the scenes tension, Michael. I think that, you know, your wife would leave you if you were calling press conferences and just raving about how attractive her best friend was publicly on a regular basis, which is basically what Dave Yeager was doing with Luca for like a year straight. I mean, uh, I think that that pick was sort of at the, you know, the, the center of this demise, right? Once you screw that up, you either have to own it somehow, which there's not a great way to own it, or you have to kind of double down on your guy. And so for Vlade, he doubled down on this idea of, oh, I still got the right guy. I'm just going to change coaches. You know, we can't have this negative attitude. We got to go forward with who we have. And, you know, clearly uh, they take a big step back this year. I'm not going to completely blame Luke Walton for it, but it does seem like Dave Yeager is just a better overall coach. You know, if you give him the same rosters, he's going to get, you know, better results from that group. And, you know, Jaeger's on the right side of history on the Luka pick, and that leaves uh, Vlade really no leg to stand on. Lots of misses along the way. Um, I think that, you know, for King's ownership group, I think that they were mostly interested in Vlade at the start because he was so popular with the fan base and kind of using him as a figurehead. And I think it's a really important lesson that, um, you know, you've got to have a key number two guy there if that's your approach, right? You can't have a complete negotiating novice. You can't have a complete drafting and scouting novice. Um, you know, in that type of spot because it will show through very quickly just in the terms of trades and, and the kind of guys he's targeting, his evaluations that you're describing at the top of the lottery. And even some of the trades he's making were pretty uh, pretty confusing and, and how he was valuing free agents too. I mean, look, there's going to be a premium you have to pay to get guys to go to Sacramento, but some of those premiums were pretty big, Michael. I mean, like you know, he's paying like double sticker price on a on a brand new car and driving it off the lot. And it's worth twenty percent of what he paid. You know, I mean that that kind of kept happening to him over and over. And so I think it's you know this idea of like, look, if you're structuring a front office and you have a guy who's like, hey, he's the rah rah. You know, let's keep the fans invested. He's the guy who goes out there and says, you know, we've got a super team. We're just young. That's okay. You can get away with that. As long as you have like a supreme dork number two who's doing all of the hard work <laughs> and like making sure that like you're making the right moves and, and setting up the bosses to look good, right? And I think that was maybe, uh, you know, part of their flaw there. Uh, will Vlade ever get another job? 
or is he going to be, you know, just a guy who sort of bounces around in the NBA? Maybe he's working on like international development projects for the league, or you know, maybe he's uh, a scout at some point. I mean, it's hard to imagine another team is going to have him run their front <laughs> office, right? I think because of his personal relationship with, uh, I guess not, maybe not personal, but like his. Uh, association with the Kings organization and just how beloved he was there was a a unique uh, scenario and I do not see him becoming a president of basketball operations for any of the other 29 organizations uh, anytime in the near future and I I think maybe he could uh, be affiliated with the Serbian national team in some format uh, or, or run that basketball program. But I do not see there being a future for him in the NBA in a, a large role. I mean, you just mentioned being a scout, like he drafted Bagley over Luca. So <laughs> I don't know who's going to hire him after that one. So let me ask you, if you were Luca or Luca's agent, how would you prepare to handle the media onslaught in this kind of a situation? I mean, you know, guys like me might be rushing up to you and saying, Luca, how does it feel to have blood on your hands? You're just ending all these guys' careers. You know, they've all screwed up. Like, do you lean into that idea and kind of go Kobe with it? Oh, I'm going to try to punish all the GMs who, who passed on me, who didn't believe in me. Do you take the high road and say, you know, I always had confidence I was the best player in that draft. And, you know, I landed in the right spot here in Dallas. It's worked out great. Like, how do you play that if you're really trying to, like, market and brand Luca as his future face of international basketball and maybe, you know, the best player in the NBA in the not-too-distant future? You don't need to touch it. Like, you are going to be this but should uh, you touch it could this be like rich material for a gatorade commercial or a jordan commercial you know he's like staring up there at the draft night video watching bagley get selected just shaking his head as he's shooting jumpers in an empty gym (laughs) i mean kind of walk with me here michael let's let's get creative let's brainstorm you're you're being way too petty here um he was passed over essentially by three organizations i guess right technically and you know, he lucked out, man. Like he went he he went to a team that has a championship pedigree, championship ownership, championship head coach, uh real competent front office, just a great culture, uh a team that knows how to build around an international superstar and potential Hall of Famer, uh, as well as any other organization in the league. So, he landed in the right spot. He should be grateful for that. You know, I'm not saying he would not have immense success in Sacramento or in Phoenix, but he landed with the right team. And I think the 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 incline is a lot steeper with some of the other organizations that he could have been on. And he was just kind of able to hit the ground running in Dallas. And now look at them. They're in the playoffs already. And they've understood and been able to accept his abilities and are building around him with uh pieces that are just win now uh right away so it's just a it's a it's a great situation for him uh it's a great situation for dallas if i was luca or luca's agent i would just look forward i would like look towards the future and uh not worry too much about what happened in the past i feel you we've got one more guy who uh got kicked to the curb over the weekend alvin gentry coach of the new orleans pelicans was let go on the heels of a very disappointing you know pretty dismal bubble showing by the pelicans um you know we had mentioned that 
after that kind of do-or-die loss to the San Antonio Spurs, he said he had no explanation for why his team didn't show up and they got down by 20 in the first half. It really just felt like the writing was on the wall there for almost the full week um, here in New Orleans. We described sort of the disruptive element of you know Zion leaving the bubble and coming back, kind of throwing everything off, and, and their lack of team camaraderie and chemistry and those kinds of things. I'm curious, Michael, going forward, um, what do you think the priority should be for New Orleans when they're trying to hire a coach here? I think that you know there are arguments that this is going to be one of the more desirable jobs out there because you've got the talent in Zion. You've got a young roster you can mold. You don't really have any bad contracts hanging over things. Um, you've got a smart GM. Uh, you have a smaller market, which sometimes coaches like that because it's just less mm-hmm. pressure and scrutiny, right? You can just sort of settle in and you know you're going to be there for like a four or five year building process as opposed to like, hey, you've got to win right here in year one. So with all that in mind, what kind of a coach are you looking to hire? Do you have a name in mind who you think that would be a, a good fit there? What are the personality priorities here? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. Uh, because if I'm New Orleans, I don't really know like the the balance of win now versus just developing Zion and slow rolling it. Like, do you want to make the playoff? Like, what are your goals internally well, as an organization? Let me ask you, is there any difference? I mean, if you develop Zion and he's 100% and he's healthy and he's on the court, aren't you winning now? I mean, that's sort of how I look at it. You're not winning a title now, but I feel like isn't Zion... Maximizing Zion is going to take you a lot of great places, I guess is my point. Right. I don't disagree with that. What I mean more is just what type of players are you trying to put around him? Like, are you putting around him younger players who can grow with him? And then once he's hitting his next contract, then you actually are in position to like have a core that can win a championship? Or are you just trying to surround him with vets right now? And once he hits his next contract, the entire roster will look completely different around him. Are you trying to really focus on the here and now versus three, four years down the road? Um, That's like a less, I think, integral question with regards to who should be the coach. Uh, Like, I just, I think... I think Ty Lue is just going to take this job. I, I mean, that's like what the the writings on the wall are like Vegas loves Ty Lue for this position if I was Ty Lue uh and I had to choose between the New Orleans Pelicans and the Brooklyn Nets which seems to be uh his other uh his other option here and the the juiciest other opening potentially I would a hundred times out of a hundred go to New Orleans uh because wow I mean coaching think about it like Coaching in Brooklyn is, I guess, wonderful, and he has a relationship with Kyrie, which is probably why he wants to <laughs> to, to go to New Orleans. But um, like, you have instantaneous pressure in uh, in a market that is obviously, you know, New York, not a lot of fun, um, and like, you don't really know if the expectations match up to what you have on the court and what the players are able to do in terms of staying healthy. And we don't know what KD even looks like. If you take that job and KD is 80% of what he was the last time he stepped on a basketball court, you're screwed because you're not winning a championship. Um, so you're so saying I just, less egos and better food and maybe less pressure. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to go there with the food. I love new Orleans food. I live in Brooklyn. The food is great here too. Um, but oh come on! Zion, Zion, you're, you're gonna Zion. put you're gonna put avocado toast up against alligator Duck. gumbo. 
Come on. All right. We're, we're going to have to record a completely separate podcast and have this argument elsewhere. But um, I do think that <laughs> I do think that, you know, the opportunity to coach Zion uh, at the start of his career is just like, how many times do you get an opportunity like that? That is like I can be the coach of Zion Williamson for the next 12, 15 years here in New Orleans if no. everything goes right. It's so a, that's just, it's, it's like a no brainer for me. It's a great point. I've had the same thought actually about Taylor Jenkins. What a glow up for Taylor Jenkins, right? I mean, like basically not on the NBA radar two years ago, and now you just get to ride the jaw wave for the next eight years, right? That's going to be pretty good job security. That's going to be a yeah. pretty high profile position. That one worked out great for him. Uh, and despite the Grizzlies get knocked out in the play in game, uh, you know, that is the kind of transformative power that a single young star can have. So I hear you. Um, you know, it's tricky because for Ty Lue, he's so used to winning at a high level, right? I mean, when you're looking back at the Cleveland and then the Clippers, it is a, a completely different shift of mentality. What I've been kind of hearing down here in the bubble in terms of what New Orleans might do with that next job, it sounds like they're trying to improve um, – maybe the the communication and the uh, accountability aspects of their organization, right? I think that, you know, one downside for Gentry was that he's a little bit older and he was also used to coaching contending teams, you know, being an assistant with the Clippers and, and the um, the Warriors there for years. And when he first got to New Orleans, that was a team that was trying to be, you know, a playoff team with with Drew Holiday and, and Davis already being, you know, a veteran. And, you know, there were pretty clear marching orders, go try to win. That shifted pretty drastically and he handled – the entire, you know, trade demand fallout very, very well. But it's just a different task when you're trying to relate and connect and motivate these young players. And it just didn't seem like maybe he was you know, successful in that task this particular season. So that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be going for a younger coach, uh, which, you know, Ty Lue would fit that bill. I mean, a lot of the coaches, frankly, would just fit that bill just based on age alone. But I also think it, it might be a little bit maybe a fiercer voice you know Alvin Gentry is such a pleasant and, and kind of laid-back type of guy and I think that they might be looking for something to to push Zion a little bit harder right to make sure that he's never getting out of shape to make sure that he's restructuring all of his routines so he can be that guy um, that's just you know some of the the early discussion that's been taking place down here um, about that spot this is it we've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. 
Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on do not disturb, tuning out all the constant just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Well, I mentioned the Grizzlies, Michael. We had a pretty entertaining play-in game uh, between the Grizzlies and the Blazers. Obviously, Portland took it on Saturday. Um, it, it completed just a crazy run for the Blazers over the course of the week, just winning all these must-win games, going right down to the wire. They did it again. I mean, Lillard was good, but C.J. McCollum, Yusuf Nurkic, Carmelo Anthony kind of all had flashes and moments in that game. Um, now they get to face the L.A. Lakers in the first round, so the playoff field is officially set. My biggest question for you about the play-in comes in from Tom. He says, I must say that the NBA restart, aside from finally satisfying my thirst for basketball, made the fight for the eight seed a real treat to watch. It was neck and neck and neck race all the way down to the end, and it's so much more compelling than the typical basketball we get in the weeks immediately prior to the beginning of the playoffs. Is the play-in here to stay? So, Michael, I'm curious. Are you a convert like our buddy Tom? I had always been in the, you know, don't change it, it's not broken type camp. Um, after watching two weeks of these games in, in person where guys were really going hard for Phoenix, for San Antonio, um, for Portland, for Memphis. Uh, I mean, Jaws' performance in that play-in game, he did not roll over in any way and, and really scared the, the, the daylights out of Portland there. Um, I'm curious, are you in now for the play-in going forward? Uh, should they try to use it, especially next year, if they have to do a shortened season because of COVID? And then should they consider it, I guess, longer term once they're kind of back to normal, quote-unquote, 82-game uh, seasons? The play-in is incredible. I honestly, I can't even understand why someone would not like it. And I guess like the Memphis Grizzlies fans probably don't like it, but they were also the nine seed, so they had an opportunity that they otherwise wouldn't have had. Um, it's just terrific. Like the one thing that I, I think was a bummer that whoever makes the schedule can kind of fix going forward. Although I don't really even know how you would do this, but it would have been even cooler if some of the teams that were actually battling for the eight and then the nine uh, seeds in this were actually playing each other down the stretch, you know? So we had like all these games that uh, were against teams where one of the teams were in, in competition was playing a team that had already secured a spot in the playoffs and that was just kind of dumb because you had like the Bucks against the Grizzlies in that last game. You had, um, and the Bucks didn't have Giannis, and they just like clearly were not interested in competing at a high level. Um, 
and I think the Spurs played the Jazz. I can't even remember, but it was just, they. None of the teams were playing each. Like if the Suns played the Grizzlies or the Suns played the Blazers or something like that, where it was basically like a play-in to the play-in, then you're just amplifying the intensity. That would have been cool. Um, but the actual play-in. Uh, game on Saturday afternoon was w- just incredible, and it really got me in the mood for playoff basketball. And we got classic performances. And the one other thing that is a little weird to me that I hope that they figure out how to fix is like how you incorporate the statistics for those games and kind of choose if that's a playoff game or if it's a regular season game because we can't just have statistics that don't matter at all. <laughs> just that, yeah, that, that, that I, I was think it dumb. should. I think it should have been a regular season game personally. Um, and that, I think those stats need to count. They need to be tracked somewhere. So I hope they rethink that because that, that rubbed me a little bit uh, the wrong way too. What an incredibly dorky response from us to the play-in game complaining about the statistics. <laughs> Michael, I, I want to throw you a curveball here about John ja Morant. Sure. When you're watching him just torch Portland's defense off the dribble, and granted, you know, Portland's defense, not exactly the Toronto Raptors, right? But a lot of big moments there late where he's going hard to the basket, getting wherever he wants finishing awesome plays, setting up his teammates, just really doing it all on a huge stage, completely fearless, um, you know, head-to-head against Damian Lillard. I want you to dream about Jaws' future. What is Jaws' best-case scenario in terms of accomplishments, in terms of who he can be? I think, you know, part of the discussion here recently is, like, if you really want to win titles, you pretty much have to have an elite playmaking wing. Like that's kind of the formula, right? Um, And obviously Steph Curry and the Warriors, a little bit of an exception there. But if you go back at the last 10 years, that's kind of like the the most coveted position. So when you're looking at like a young point guard, who's obviously a little bit undersized, he's adding weight, but still not, you know, real beefy Mm -hmm. on the basketball. How good can he be? Is MVP possible, perennial all-star, Hall of Famer? Can he lead a title team? Like dream with me. What is his ceiling? I think I'm going to give you a comp in a second, but I think like to start, what he absolutely needs to do is like get the respective defenses to the point where they're not constantly ducking under screens and letting him shoot jump shots, be it behind the three point line or along two. I think that's just an absolutely critical part of his game that needs to improve um, or at least be respected in opposing scouting reports and it can just I mean because like at the end of the day you're not going to I mean you mentioned Portland's defense Portland's defense is so atrocious you can't even really begin to like as amazing as Dame has been over the past couple weeks the defense has been that bad on the other side of the spectrum and so like when you have a person like personality is going up against that basically can't even trap him if it wanted to which is what any other team in the bubble would have done at some point because he's just getting a head start and attacking the big who's sagging and either getting to the free throw line or finishing at the rim um so i think that that part of his game needs to improve before i kind of jump into is he a hall of famer or not but when i look at his ceiling the player who he reminds me of is just like a more rhythmic Russell Westbrook, like someone who can attack the basket at will, finish around the rim, get to the free throw line. Um, He's aesthetically obviously different from Westbrook in a lot of ways. Um, He's not like a jackhammer, but uh, I think that their games are very similar. And I don't know if Ja has the 
build to you know someday average or triple double or anything like that or but I do think that he can lead the league in scoring someday and I do think that he will contend for MVPs I don't know if he'll actually ever win one but he will contend he's that good Wow. Well, so if Westbrook's heavy metal, like Jaws, what, like acoustic guitar rock? Or what are we what are we calling him? <laughs> He's like a, uh, a a jazz saxophone solo is what maybe he is. But that's disrespectful to Triple J. So I don't I don't really know. I would have to give it some more thought about the parallels musically. But Jaws is so much fun to watch. And that game was so great. He, he really is fun to watch. On the Blazers defense that you're describing, um, have you ever played, and I might be messing this up because I'm not a big video game guy, but aren't there certain scenarios in Madden where you like intentionally try to let the other team score so you can get the ball back and score yourself, like certain like end game scenarios? I feel like that's kind of Portland's approach to, to <laughs> basketball just in general. They're like, look, let it, the quicker that we concede points, the sooner we can get points. So like, let's just go out there and completely break the sport that way. Um, Not sure that's going to be a functional playoff strategy, but it was really fun for the last week. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, They talk about trading like, you know, threes for twos. It did seem like Portland's like, yeah, sure. Dunk all over us. Whatever you want to do. As long as Dame can shoot from 40 feet, it's going to work out (laughs) just fine. Hey, speaking of Dame, um, we got Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of questions um, about Damian Lillard's performance. Um, you know, Thaddeus wrote in, Hey, Michael, I love the interview you did recently with Dan Pfeiffer. And after that very smooth plug by Thaddeus, he went on to say, I watched Lillard drop 61 points last night. And I read Ben's article recapping his comments this morning. Lillard's openness as an athlete, his willingness to go after other stars and his loyalty to Portland and his teammates is so rare. Dame is probably the best bet for next athlete to play his entire career with one team. So I was trying to think about his legacy. Is he already the best blazer ever? Even without matching some of the past postseason success of guys like maybe Bill Walton or Clyde Drexler. And then he asks, where does Dame rank historically among two groups? Uh, guys who stayed on one team, uh, you know, like the Dirk Nowitzkis of the world. And then he says, uh, Dame could have forced his way out uh, already as he started to uh, apex Portland bled talent, and he was stuck with bad contracts. He may not be KG level of what if he had better teammates, but where does he sit in that conversation of players who maybe didn't maximize their shot at winning? So lots of questions here from Thaddeus. I don't know if you have one that's uh, you know favorite of the other. I mean, for me personally, I would still say Clyde is the greatest Blazer ever until Damian has a little bit more team postseason success, but I think that argument is getting harder and harder to make, Michael. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think that the more memorable, just visceral shots and moments he accumulates, he just connects with fans in a way that, you know, Drexler did, but just not to the same degree. You know, people Dame has that personality and game that make people love him, right? Mm-hmm. They're magnetized towards him. And I think people really liked and really respected Clyde and, and revered Clyde. But that love mm-hmm. factor is tricky to get, and I think Dame just exudes it. So um, he's probably two right now, I would say, on that one. But uh, how do you feel? Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think that Clyde is probably still the best Blazer of all time just because, I mean, if you just look statistically, he's attempted over 1,100 more free throws in a Blazers uniform. He leads them in just about every single statistical category all time and that's not a knock against Dame like his career isn't even close to being over and he'll probably surpass Clyde in a lot of those categories before it's all said and done um 
I think the really interesting question here is where does he rank historically among the guys who have played their whole career with one team? Because, you know, Dame is currently on, I believe, the most expensive, uh, highest paying contract in the league. It is, you know, it's unlikely that he is moved in his prime. It's not impossible because we know about the NBA and everything is just everything's up for grabs at all times. Very unpredictable, but it's likely that he spends the bulk of his future in Portland. And so, follow up question for you on that: If you have sure. one of those supermax deals, should part of the contract language be you can't complain about your supporting cast if you're making that much money? Because it's a gigantic contract. Right? <laughs> I would not ever say a word if I was making two hundred fifty yeah, million dollars to play basketball. That's what I was going to say, Michael. If you were making forty five million <laughs> a year from your employer with side deals with Adidas and everything else. You basically waive the right to say, oh, I don't know, have enough help, right? I mean, isn't isn't that just off the table? Yes, of course. It's completely, it's like ludicrous to complain. And to his credit, he does not complain. Um, he's a terrific leader. He's probably the best leader in the whole league. So uh, I do want to throw some names out here at you, though, and see if we can get Dame into this conversation and if you think that it's deserving at all. Um, so when I think I've of got the, my mid on, throw them. I'm okay, ready. Bring it on. Beautiful. So when we think about guys who've spent their whole careers with one team who are great, uh, here's some names: uh, Bill Russell, Larry Bird. Yeah, he's he's Magic. not as good as Bill Russell or Larry Bird. <laughs> okay, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> okay, Magic Johnson, Kobe, uh, uh, Steph, and I think Steph is a really that's one that I want to talk about a little bit more in depth in a minute. Um, Tim Duncan, Dirk. Your boy, John Stockton, Isaiah Thomas, David Robinson, Reggie Miller, Jason Tatum. So um, those are kind of some of the... I mean, not to sound like Clint Eastwood (laughs) here, but I mean, this is like a back when men were men list, you know? Like we're going back to previous generations when guys didn't change teams and they just upheld the virtues of their communities. He is not on that list. I would say not even really that close. I got to say, did I slip the Jason Tatum by, joke by you and you didn't even con- is, is that where we're at right now in our relationship where I can just say his name whenever and you, it just blanks out in your brain you said Stockton and I blacked out I mean I just got so excited <laughs> that I was like thinking about how far Lillard had to go to reach Stockton as a player and it was just you know I went straight to a different dimension started wistfully just you know conjuring up short short images in my head um well that's you know, very clever. He's above Tatum. I'm going to definitely okay. say that. But everybody else, he's, he's still below that. You mentioned Steph. You want to get into a little Steph versus Dame debate? It seemed like well, that was the talk of talk radio and Twitter here the last uh, week or so. To be clear, give Steph his flowers, whatever they say on, on social media these days. Steph is still the undisputed king of the point guard position. You've got to knock him off to take that title. However, heading into next year, if you could only have one for a season – Steph or Dame, given Dame's you know lower age, given his better health, um, given what he's shown here on the court the last couple of weeks, it's a conversation. You know, that's a real back and forth conversation about who do you trust more for a season. I think it's fascinating. Uh, you know, one of the knocks on Dame throughout the past however many years has been basically that his game is a carbon copy of Steph which is fair in one sense and then just like totally unfair because Steph is a two-time MVP, unanimous MVP, three-time NBA champion, was one of the most 
popular players in the history of the league at his apex. So comparing anyone to him, just like it's it's like yeah, okay, what why why are we even having this discussion? But like you think about what if they switched roles? What if Dame played for the Golden State Warriors this entire time and had Draymond Green and had uh, Clay Thompson and had uh, eventually Kevin Durant, who I'm sure would have loved to play uh, with Damian Lillard in the exact same scenario if we're going back. Um, like, could Dame have performed at the highest on the highest stages uh, that Steph did and performed as well in the playoffs and in the finals and all that? Like, I, I think that Dame could have done that so it's tough and when you look at the times that dame actually lost in the playoffs well, hold on like, let's put a finer point sure. on it are you saying head-to-head versus Kyrie? dame's not getting punked in the 2016 finals and he's winning that series <laughs> um I'm not going to... I don't want to denigrate Steph in this conversation at all. Uh, I will say I just... You know, and Dame is not perfect. But... I... I don't know, man. Like, I, what do you want me to say? Like, I think... Well, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to lead the horse to water. I just think that, like... Well, I think one of the key personality differences between those two guys is that, like, late game moments... Dame wants to be Kobe. He wants to be a guy like KD. He wants the ball in his hands. He wants to kind of decide everything. We've seen that kind of, you know, time and time again. By the way, he's not always successful, but he definitely always wants it. He has that very traditional kind of like, you know, late game killer approach. That was really never Steph. And I think that in general, there's really strong arguments that Steph's more, you know, relaxed and kind of team oriented approach just overall is healthier for sustaining really, really high-level winning, keeps everybody involved, keeps defenses guessing and everything else. But in that one moment in 2016, they did sort of need Steph to flip the switch and and take over a little bit more than he did. And um, that series got away from him down the stretch. I'm just curious, you know, we're talking this, like, you know, hypothetical version. Would Dane be able to, you know, accomplish everything that Steph did, you know, during his run? I don't think so. I I definitely think Steph is a, a cut above um, overall from a career standpoint but I do wonder if you you know Kyrie starts going off for 40 you know in a couple of those games late in that 2016 finals whether Dame is like okay well anything you can do I can do better and he starts going back the other direction a little bit more forcefully than Steph is I don't know they, they might have left one title on the table there if they had a, a little bit more Lillard mentality in Steph Curry well, of course, but also we have to remember that if the Warriors won the title that year, then Kevin Durant never goes there, and then we don't know whatever happens in the years that follow. So that's a whole different uh, can of worms. But I will say, to your point, Dame, after the Nets game, I believe, uh, he had an on-court interview with Chris Haynes where he's basically like, You know, they were doubling him basically at half court for a majority of that game, and he's making the right reads. He's passing to the release valves. Nurkic is having a field day because of it. Um, CJ McCollum gets a bunch of open shots. Melo gets open shots. But, like, damn it, when it's like, when it's go time and it's really close, he's just like, if I get like a sliver of space, like, I I realize, like, I can't just make the right play over and over again. I'm not going to sleep at night. So that is his explanation for literally pulling up from the logo and drilling a three, which was like one of the coolest shots I've ever seen. Um, 
And so to your point, yeah, that's exactly who he is. He's the guy who's like, I need to put this on my shoulders. And maybe he would not feel that way if, no disrespect to C.J. McCollum, if Clay Thompson was his teammate, if he had Andre Iguodala as uh, like a point man who allowed him to run off the ball a little bit more. So I think it's a really fascinating question. And then on the other side of this is like, what would Steph do if Steph was not in Golden State? Like assuming Steph is healthy... Uh, and he's in the exact same situation in Portland. Like, are his numbers just? I mean, his already his numbers were, have already been just video game crazy. But like, what do those look like if his team is really relying on him to do so much more than he's already had to do? I do think it's important to point out the Warriors were in a worse spot when Steph arrived than the Blazers were when Dame arrived. Right? Like, that was already a pretty established uh, organization. Portland had its stuff together. Um, the Warriors were a train wreck for like 15 or 20 years before Steph got there, right? So um, let's not uh, undersell Steph's ability to transform uh, an organization and get the very best out of his teammates and kind of lift people up to higher levels. I think that's a big part of his value um, in this conversation. I don't want to hear from our buddy Yago, the longtime you know Warriors fan, um, you know, lecturing me about uh, you know doing a disservice to Steph's legacy. I think. Uh, you know, the, the titles do speak for themselves, and he gets a lot of the credit there for, you know, basically putting them even in position to compete for them. Michael, though, if you only had to pick one for next season, and if we fast forward this conversation 12 months, who are we saying is the best point guard in basketball 12 months from now? Damn, that is such a good question. I'm still going Steph. Wow. Because I don't want to, I just don't want to disrespect him, to be honest. Like, He's yeah. a little older. You're, He's you're coming like the, You're like the rapper The Game, where he started just name-checking Tupac and Jay-Z and like every single one of his raps. He's like, I don't disrespect legends. That's something I just don't do. That sounds like you right now. I did not expect to be compared to The Game uh, on today's podcast, but thank you very much, Ben. I appreciate it. Um, playoff I, form. I, playoff <laughs> form over here. <laughs> I uh, I just, yeah, I can't disrespect Steph. I mean, he took the year off. Before the season began, he was my pick to an MVP. That's how highly I think of him. And I thought that he was just going to just torch the entire NBA and set everybody on fire uh, in the first post-KD season. But he obviously got hurt, and then the Warriors went in a completely different direction. Um, but he's been out of the spotlight right now, and it's really funny how people are so quick to forget all that he did. Uh when he was healthy over the past five years and just how key he was in one of the most historic runs that we've ever seen. I really hope he has a nice long extended uh, chapter here the next couple of years to cement his status among the all-time greats because I do worry if the injury issues bite him here, people move on to the next flavor of the month so quickly that he's going to wind up being this like shooting star that lasted for four years and then people you know, move on because, you know, a lot of the longtime greats are lasting 10, 12, 14 years now, um, you know, of of peak high-level basketball. I just don't want Steph to be remembered as, like, not a flash in the pan because five years is no joke, right? But I don't want people to think, oh, he was just, like, the shooting star that came and went because um, he is such an important person in in, te- in terms of telling the story of modern basketball and the evolution of the sport so i would love to see him get two or three more healthy years and i agree with you one year from now we will still say steph curry is the best point guard in the nba and who, who's going to root for him to get injured next year nobody at least nobody with a heart <laughs> hey michael Jesus. i want to cl- close up on uh you know last well i just think that's the only way he would ever be viewed as not the best right if he's healthy i think he's still going to have the crown 
I don't see him like deteriorating because of age or anything. So if he gets injured next year, I think people will uh, change that spot, though. I think they'll give it to Lillard. And I think that would be understandable if you have two like completely uh, injury-plagued years. You know, I think that would be a, a reasonable conclusion. All right, Michael, I uh, want to close up with one final question here, okay? It came in from Brian. He says, I have been enjoying the Lakers skepticism that the pod has been bringing on open floor. And just to be clear, Michael, Brian is the only person who's been enjoying it. I've been hearing from a lot of Lakers fans who are not <laughs> enjoying it. I've been getting a lot of your hate mail the last week or two, and uh, we'll see Beautiful. how that, that shakes out here. But he goes... I personally don't know what to think of the Lakers right now. If you told me they lost early in the playoffs, I wouldn't be surprised. But if you told me they made it all the way to the finals, I also wouldn't be surprised. They are just an, an enigma. The purpose of this email, though, is not to discuss the Lakers, it is to discuss Michael's champion Houston Rockets. I know Michael mentioned the Blazers as a possible candidate to knock out the Lakers, uh, but his most common scenario for the Lakers' early exit has been about uh, Harden and Westbrook winning in the second round. But my question is this, are we sure the Rockets are going to make the second round? And Michael, we talked about that uh, Houston OKC series a little bit, I believe already. So I don't necessarily want you to go back down that route. What I would like you to do is rank the top three most likely upsets in the first round, because I think Houston OKC has got to be on that list, right? Uh, I mean, sure. We don't, can put don't, them on that Don't list. sound too excited for this now. I mean, if this happened, my whole world would just crumble around me. So I'm really, I don't want the Rockets to lose. That would be terrible. Um, I would look like a fool. Um, I think I'm still, like, I know he doesn't want, Brian here doesn't want to talk about the Lakers. But if we're just looking at some of the, like, I still think, the number one upset likely to happen is Blazers over Lakers. I'm sorry. Wow, the most likely upset of all. You have no faith in the Pacers. No faith in uh, no faith in no. my Philadelphia 76ers. No faith in Luca. No faith in the Utah Jazz. You have that little respect for LeBron James, Anthony so, Davis, and the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say uh, some of the other ones you mentioned. I just don't even. I don't think. I, I mean, sure, anything's possible. I don't think that the Pacers are going to beat the Miami Heat. I really don't. I, I don't really give the Sixers a shot at beating the Celtics uh, for a variety of reasons. I think the Jazz Nuggets one is pretty interesting, but it's like, do you even classify that as an upset? Like, like it, sure, seeding wise, it technically is, but like. These teams look so much different than the ones that actually earned those records and those seedings. So, like, do you even call, like, would you be, would you blink if the Nuggets lost to the Jazz? Like, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't, but I think that's the most likely one, right? I think that's the hardest series to handicap. Who knows what's going on with Mike Conley when he's going to be back in the mix. I know Denver's got a couple guys who are injured. So that one just feels like this weird coin toss of like, okay, just tell us who wins in two weeks and we'll check back, you know? Um, but I do think that deserves to be, technically speaking, the most likely upset of mm -hmm. the eighth series would be Utah knocking off Denver. Fair, 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 fair. Um, I disagree. I think Dame is going to average 65 in the first round, and it'll be lights out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, you're, but I, you're I, not I, kidding at all. So is this Blazers in, <laughs> is this Blazers in five or, or four? What do you have? Oh, Lord. Uh, my mentions are just going to be a total dumpster fire for the next few days. Um 
Look, I I am very uncomfortable just going against LeBron James, and there's always the scenario where it's like, who is guarding LeBron in this series? I think that that is just a really interesting question. And then will CJ McCollum look like the guy we saw in that play-in game, or is he going to look like the guy we saw for a vast majority of that Nets game where he just does not look like like anything special, and he's basically just a spot-up shooter? Um, I do think that if they if Portland's three point shooting is as hot as it was during most of the bubble games that, yeah, like I'm giving them more than a puncher's chance of beating the Lakers. And that goes against everything I believe in and in terms of just LeBron's greatness and how he's probably sucking analysts like me in by not taking those games seriously that they've already played. And we'll just reach a completely different level once the playoffs begin. But I don't know, man. I think that, that there's a factor of playing with desperation for as long as Portland has, where they had to win every single game, and just being locked in. Like, they're going to hit the ground with that mindset. And so all of a sudden, if you have that approach versus a team like the Lakers that are just trying to to reach you in terms of your intensity level, because a lot of the guys on that team have never played in a big playoff game. Um, then like all of a sudden Portland wins game one. You don't, there's no such thing as home court advantage. Portland win game game wins game one. And then they're feeling really confident. And I don't know, the ball could get rolling from there. So, you know, I'm probably sounding insane to a lot of people, but I hope that this makes sense in the end. No, it does. Uh, I hear what you're saying. I think the big concern, <laughs> the big concern for Portland, though, is the flip side of what you're arguing, which is that Terry yes. Stotts calls it a nine-game playoff series for them just to get in. The Lakers are rested. LeBron's been biding his time. He's been able to scout every single one of these Blazers games. He sees exactly what they want to do because they have to show their hand in these winner-go-home type games, right? So. They can scout the Blazers a lot better than the Blazers can scout the Lakers, if that makes sense. Um, and they're rested, and the Lakers should be able to outlast the Blazers over the course of a series, especially because they're the more physical team. You would expect them to be able to do that. But that three-point differential is a real factor. There's no doubt. I mean, that is when they talk about creating variance within a series, like Portland shooting the three ball better than basically everybody in the bubble, and the Lakers mm-hmm. shooting the three ball basically as bad as anybody in the bubble that is exactly what they're meaning. And, you know, if these games get into shootouts late, you trust Portland's third and fourth and fifth shooters, guys like Mello and Gary Trent. You just trust those guys a lot more than the Lakers' third, fourth, fifth options. So um, I'm still taking Lakers pretty comfortably in this series, but uh, I I do think it's going to be one of the juiciest matchups. I think in terms of my most likely upsets, I would go number one would be Utah. I would go number two would be Oklahoma City. And I would go number three, would be the Philadelphia 76ers. Oh, my God. Okay, I, I really want to hear this legitimate case that you have right now against the Celtics. Um, well, look, I'm picking Boston in the series. And, and in fact, I'm actually picking against all of these upsets. I, I have chalk across the board. I don't usually do that with my playoff bracket, but I had a hard time talking myself into any of these upsets. I think the case for Philly is that, you know, Christmas Embiid shows up somehow four times, basically. Um, And if that happens, which I do not expect it to, then they have a really good chance of winning the series. Um, You know, if if Daniel Tice winds up, you know, stuffed inside of a basketball rim because, uh, you know, Embiid has dunked his entire body through the hoop, then that would be, um, 
you know, one possibility. But outside of that, look, Boston's more talented. They're more together. They're more versatile. Um, you know, they play a lot harder. Their defense has been more impressive. Like, they have all the edges in the series. You know, it just basically comes back to this idea of, like, you know, Philly's offense in the bubble has actually been pretty good. Um, and, you know, they're going to struggle to, you know, deal with uh, to deal with Boston's wings defensively. Uh, but if they're able to kind of get things on track and Embiid rises up to the moment, he's the best player in the series, they'll have a shot. Like I said, I'm, I'm taking Boston. But, um, you know, part of this, you know, top three underdogs question was just to try to point out that it's pretty hard to pick upsets here. Like, uh, no one's going to take Brooklyn. No one's going to take Orlando. I don't think even most people would take Dallas when you look at their defense being below average and the Clippers being kind of elite on both sides of the basketball. Um, yeah. So we we don't really have a lot to work with. It's almost a process of elimination for putting Boston Philly on that list. I mean, if it was a process of, I, I know you just wanted to dig at me, which is why you. No, picked that these one. are these are genuine picks, man. I'm sorry. I think that mm-hmm. Boston, the the gap between Boston and Philly from you know a talent level and a matchup level is narrower than the gap between the Lakers and the Blazers. No matter how much you want to hype up these Blazers, like. LeBron's going to be living on the free throw line, 35 free throws a night, because they just got nobody who can hang with them. LeBron, who career low free throw attempts this season, dramatically lower than any other season in his career. You don't see any sign of maybe some physical decline there from my guy? I've definitely seen signs of physical decline, but not so much that he's getting locked up by Gary Trent Jr. Um, you know, if, if Portland could have seven guys playing defense on the court simultaneously, this, let me, they, they might let be me, able to limit LeBron, but come on, man. Let me tell you something. This was the defensive series that Carmelo Anthony was born to dominate. I just can't wait to see him. He's been he's been a ringer this whole time. Defense has been number one for him. He's just going to lock up LeBron. Everyone is it, – it's what I'm anticipating. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Here comes an email from Jim in Texas. He's right, He writes, when Carmelo is defending on screens, it looks like he is auditioning for a lead in a Weekend at Bernie's sequel, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Would you cast Mello in a Weekend at Bernie's sequel? Um, damn, that's harsh. Uh, yeah, Mello, you know, the defense is what the defense is and has always been. Um, there was one play in their last game. I think it was, it was no, it was against in the Nets series. He was defending on a fast break and he just like darted to the corner instead of stopping the ball. And it was a, a layup for Karis LeVert or someone. It's just like that's – and some people were immediately texting me about his defense. It's like he just is what he is on that end, and it's going to be really fun to watch him try to guard LeBron if they even use him for that matchup or how that works. Um, I, I just – I'm looking forward to it all. For sure, I am too. Did you have any other upsets you wanted to pick um, other than Blazers over Lakers? Uh, I think that, you know, Aaron Gordon has a real opportunity here Come to average on. a triple-double, and we'll see if uh, once he locks up Chris Middleton, just how that's going to work Michael, out Michael. for Milwaukee's offense. Uh, no, thing, I, have no, I, have no, I have nothing else. The thing about Sharks is you got to be careful not to jump them, bro. I mean, come on. What is this pick? <laughs> you got to be kidding me, Aaron Gordon, the Orlando Magic. Um, so are you picking all chalk, eight for eight? Other, or are you are you officially picking the Blazers? Or are you just like flirting with it enough so you can claim that you picked it after the fact? No, screw it. I'm I'm picking the Blazers yes. in six. Um, I just am, and then I, I think I'm going track the rest of the way. <laughs> That's an incredible, incredible bracket, Michael. I love it. 
All right, man. We've reached the end of another episode of Open Floor. Guys, check back with us later this week for a full, extended, detailed recap of Game 1 and Game 2 action. I'm so excited. We've got the quadruple header tipping off here momentarily. Michael, it's going to be uh, action-packed fireworks. I'm sure plenty to overreact to later this week. Guys, email us all your questions, comments, concerns, takes. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. And also, check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Now, Michael's on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Villasinvictor Pina. Now, I mentioned that so you direct all your Lakers angst towards Michael <laughs> rather than towards me. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golver. I'm on Twitter at Ben Golver. Um, guys, until later this week, Michael, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have supervision, enhanced hearing, extraordinary reflexes, to be, dare we say, superhuman? Well, Roku's new Pro Series TV can't do any of that for you. But with a 4K screen, side-firing speakers, and a blazing fast refresh rate, it'll sure feel like it. Elevate your entertainment using all your favorite apps like iHeart and play all your music, radio, and podcasts with the new Roku Pro Series. Your senses aren't better. Your TV is.